Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Twinkle, twinkle, little star, how I wonder where I parked the car. Up above the garage so high, like a Chevy in the sky. Twinkle, twinkle, little star, how I wonder where I parked the car. That's Dr. Chester Drawers, played by Leo Desilets. He's a medical clown at Healthy Humor Red Nose Docs. That's a program that offers kids in hospitals a little magic and a little relief during their hospital stays. Our program is two clowns performing as clown doctors. We make rounds just like doctors do. And we're using laughter, we're using magic, we're using puppetry, improvisation, physical comedy. Leo got his degree in business, but he switched to clowning in 1977, and he hasn't looked back since. One of my favorite things to do is uh, trying to get out of the room, and I can't find the door. I'm walking into the refrigerator, I'm walking into a closet, I'm walking inside of the wall. I went into a three-year-old's room doing that routine. I just went right into the closet. And he turned to my partner and he said, Dr. Chester George isn't that smart, is he? Leo describes this sort of work as a labor of love. He never expected that he'd be doing this, but he considers it the most rewarding job he's ever had. I had a parent just write me a note just recently that she didn't want to come to the hospital the first few times with her son until I started visiting them when they saw me for the first time, then she could smile, she could finally laugh and accept what was going on with her child. I think it's safe to say that we all love a good belly laugh from time to time, and science supports that feeling as well. Studies show that laughing can improve our physical, emotional, and mental well-being. So it's time to take humor seriously and start chasing life. This has been a very stressful year and a half, and we could definitely all use a laugh. We asked you to share your stories about the role laughter plays in your life. The first time that I ever laughed, according to my mom, was she was taking me somewhere, I was in the back seat, and Eddie Murphy was on the radio, and I heard him laugh, and that made me laugh, and that was the first time I laughed. My mother can tell the most heartbreaking story. Someone always gets sick. There's just some crazy tragedy. But at the same time, she tells it with humor. So I think for me, it comes from a way to kind of cope. My father was a salesman. He sold carpets. And he was funny. And he would be very funny with clients. And I used to, I used to genuinely worry when I was a child that people would buy unwanted carpets because my father had made them laugh. They somehow lost sight of uh, how many carpets they actually needed. My favorite person to hear laugh is my sister, who, once she gets going, has tears rolling down her face and has breathing exercises she does to make herself stop because it can go on and on and on. I think as you grow older, 
you start to appreciate the times that you laugh more, you know, like the times with your friends, your family, where you're like, just like laughing super hard. Like those are the best times of your life. Personally, I think I'm pretty funny for a neurosurgeon at least. But for today's episode, I really wanted to talk to a professional. So I reached out to comedian Tig Notaro. She joined me from her home in Los Angeles, where she lives with her wife, Stephanie, and their five-year-old twin sons, Max and Finn. And from what she tells me, it's a pretty laughter-filled household. I always say that I live in a house full of writers because they're all just (laughs) writing my material and books and whatever it is that I hope to do, they're all working on it. I have always been fascinated by funny people. I've been fascinated by stand-up comics because I think that their brains just work really fast. I think that they see the connections that other people maybe don't see. And, and then as soon as they say it, it mm-hmm. was always there. And, and I just wonder, is, is that, is that what, it, what it's like for you? Do, do you see things that other people should see but miss? Do you find connections? Do you state the obvious in some ways that no one else is willing to state? Well, I mean, it, it it can work like that, and some comedians do work like that. I mean, there's plenty of comedians that um, haven't had what I would think is an interesting or new thought at all. It's just like a certain delivery and cadence that mm. they're delivering recycled ideas that comedians have done a million times. And it's, and a lot of times that is comedy is you're seeing the same thing over and over, but from different angles and delivering it differently and having a a different twist on it. You know, I, I, I remember I had a podcast years ago, like a decade ago, and we had this guy on that was completely unfamiliar with me. And he was talking about how, you know, there's certain things you just can't make jokes about. One of them is cancer. And I was sitting there um, having just done a performance where I made jokes about my cancer diagnosis. And, you know, my album ended up becoming the number one comedy album in the world that year. And so I was sitting there saying, so you're saying there is no situation where a person could make a joke <laughs> about cancer. And he said, absolutely not. I've lost people to cancer. It's not funny. And my point is, of course, it's not funny to lose people or to suffer from that disease or any disease or any sort of suffering. It's the unknown and unsuspected way of um, approaching the topic or the comedy that can floor you and make you go, gosh, I, I can't believe I just laughed at that topic. But it's, it's, it's interesting to me. Like, I'm, I'm curious for you, like 2012, I know was a really challenging year for you. Yes, it was. In four months, I had pneumonia, C. diff, invasive cancer. My mother tripped and died and my girlfriend and I split up. And then after I had my surgery, and I was returning to comedy, I kept thinking, God, I would love to take my shirt off and just tell jokes and not talk about cancer because I feel like that would make it silly. You know, that, that, that would, I would be able to make a statement, but also be a comedian about the statement. 
what was that like? I mean, I know it was an incredible moment for audiences, but but for, for you, did you get out of it what you thought you, you would? It was very cathartic. Um, I could feel it in the room. I could feel it in my body. I was so scared to Google images of double mastectomies and I was I was so I was so scared for so long. And once I went through it and I looked at myself and I thought, okay, I have scars across my chest. And I thought a scar just means you healed. Hmm. And hmm. that's how I started to process my um life post-surgery. And then I, I felt empowered at that point where I was like, yeah, I feel comfortable and I'm okay that my body has scars. And then I thought, how awesome to just take off my shirt and talk about airplanes. And so I did that in my HBO special. Was it cathartic for you? Did you, did you feel different? It was very cathartic. Um, I could feel it in the room. I could feel it in my body. I, I just thought, I always tell people I used to take really unsafe risks as a kid. I would, you know, I smoked cigarettes. I, I was a high school dropout. I just was kind of, you know, just, I was that kid. And I turned my life around as an adult and I started taking risks in comedy. And it's always, even if I bomb, always is a payoff hmm. because that risk just feels so electric to me. And um, and when I picture myself taking that risk and jumping from one side to the other and landing on my feet on the other side, I'm like, God, nothing feels better than this. And um, And after I went on tour, after having had my cancer diagnosis and releasing my album, and getting all the support I did from friends and family and strangers. My follow-up tour, I made a point to go out to my merchandise booth and meet people and say hello to all the all the strangers in the world that embraced me and supported me and lifted me up. And um, I heard their stories and they, of course, heard mine through my stand-up and my book and everything that I had released. And and they, uh, it was just, it was, it was really, I could feel it. You know, I could feel that connection. Stay tuned after the break for more of my conversation with Tig Nataro and more about the importance of connection, she mentioned. And now back to Chasing Life and my conversation with comedian Tig Nataro. Was there a role for laughter and humor and comedy during this past year, during the pandemic? Were you laughing less or or more, especially when we're in lockdown mode and things don't look so good? It's the same to me. You know, it's it's that's just how my brain works. Um, my my wife is one of the funniest people I've ever met in my life. I always think people think I'm exaggerating. We, of course, are regular people that have our issues and problems and whatever. But I would say, once a day, we have a painful belly laugh together. And I can't claim that the whole lockdown time was just a big laugh fest. But um, 
People ask me also about my diet. They say, oh, when you were in lockdown, did you stop eating vegan? I'm like, <laughs> it's like sending me out on a boat with 10 men and we're stranded in the ocean. Am I going to fall in love with a man? <laughs> no. And I didn't leave my vegan diet and I was still laughing. I was still finding comedy places. It's just, it's ingrained in me. This was one of the best things I did all year was I, I'm sitting in this little tiny closet, by the way, in my basement, which I've turned <laughs> into this podcast room. You can kind of see the yes. uh, soundproofing here on the sides and things like that. It looks There's wonderful. There's no room in here. But I, yeah, it's, you know, it's, it's home now. <laughs> it really is. Yeah, but, but I brought my wife down here and, and she was going to be my, my guest on a podcast. And uh, we just talked for 90 minutes and it was an interview. At least there was a mechanism for our conversation, right? It wasn't procedural. Like I feel like life gets so procedural. What time are kids going to get picked up? Or what are we having for dinner? Yeah. You know, calendar right. stuff. And then all of a sudden I'm reminded why I married this right. person, why we're in love. Right. And she said to me at one point, she said laughter is one of the secrets to our marriage, uh -huh. which which we laugh a lot. And and even in, in tough times, we laugh. Sometimes we laugh at, laugh at the absurdity of it. And I, I don't know, feels like it makes oh life God. worth living. It's so crucial. It's so crucial. What about this pandemic, though? And this is, this is you know, I'm obviously part of, you know, what we're all dealing with. It's a pandemic, the whole world. And we know in this country, 600,000 people have died. But is this going to ever be something you'd work into your material? I mean, this pandemic is, or is it off the table? Well, nothing is off the table for me. It's not, and I don't say that as in, oh, I am the edgiest comedian and you never know what's going to come flying out of my mouth. I just like to approach everything with, let me see how I feel. Let me see if this feels right. I'm not going to come out of a pandemic and get on stage and think, okay, well, I was just in a pandemic, so I better have my new pandemic one hour material. Right. If it doesn't feel right, I'm not going to do it. But it's inevitable that it's going to be woven in there. But it's more so finding the ridiculousness, I think, uh, in life as it was unfolding or or what what was decided to be the first places to open up from tattoo parlors to bowling alleys why were those the first things yeah no i mean I, i'm in georgia right now those were the places and we were the state at least one of them that did that initially and <laughs> <laughs> those were financial decisions which i'm not minimizing i know but i it is amusing with something so heavy going on that we got to get a tattoo parlor and a bowling alley open uh, immediately. Anyway, yeah, so it just, I had a lot of feelings in those moments of like, what am I looking at? What am I listening <laughs> right. to? What are we doing? I really, I really feel like the, the, the comedy will be important. Um, and I used to think, I, I guess, and I'm not no expert, but I think, I used to think that there were some things that you could never make jokes about, you know, and, and now I don't, know that that's the case for, for two reasons. One is I don't think it actually minimizes it if it's, you know, it mm -hmm. can, but it doesn't have to minimize it. And the other thing is that I think it can be healing. I think comedy can really help us heal, mm -hmm. you know? We we are going to need to, quote, get back to normal. As he sits in his closet. 
Yeah, okay, so I'm 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 not normal. That that is true. <laughs> that is definitely true. I it is it is it is so weird in here. I gotta tell uh-huh. you, like there's no windows, and I don't know yeah. if it's night or day. I don't know if it's rainy or sunny. Part of me wonders, will I ever, you know, be back to normal? I guess I don't even know what normal is anymore. Yeah. But I guess the question I have for you, I don't know if you can, if there's an answer, but can do you think humor will help us get back to that place by allowing these discussions to happen that otherwise may not have? I think so. I mean, I feel like kind of going back to the idea of if it's all done right and it's, it's you know, what are your intentions? Meaning a comedian, what are you, what, what is the intention behind your, your joke about this topic that is hard to swallow? And I think to consider intention all around. I think it's so important for people to consider their intentions uh, with everything that they do. And I think that that's what will get people out of their psychosis closets sooner than later is to have the right intentions with everything you do. And it's through comedy, it's through conversation, it's, it's, it's all of it. I have to tell you, Tig, really brought a smile to my face. But we don't need to rely on comedians to make us laugh. Most often we're doing it with friends and family and coworkers. But laughing is nothing new. Humans have been doing it since the very beginning. So how did we start doing it and why? So laughter is a communication signal. Uh, It shows how we are processing the events around us. And the evolutionary psychologist said it was a great way to signal what other people were feeling. That's Janet Gibson. She's a humor researcher who studies the psychology of humor from a cognitive perspective. She's also a professor of cognitive psychology at Grinnell College in Iowa. She says that because humans are social beings who thrive in groups, laughter originated as a way to stay together safely. We'll just imagine, you know, centuries ago that laughter was the glue that kept the group together. So the idea was that laughter was an external signal that can tell the group everything is okay. We can relax. No need to be anxious or threatened by what's happening around us. And so this would really be a great survival tool for groups of uh, uh, humans that are trying to, you know, us against the world. And the belief is, is that over the centuries, uh, the brain kept these connections so that we now laugh when we hear things that are relaxing, funny, surprising, amusing. We might not be fighting for our lives in the same way we were millennia ago, at least not against saber-toothed tigers and the like, but we still gain benefits from laughing. When you have endorphins circulating through the brain, you feel good. Uh, When you laugh, you're inhaling more oxygen. So all the cells of your brain are getting more oxygen as well as the cells of your body. Uh, People who report laughing a lot on surveys also report being happier, more satisfied with life, having less anxiety. There are also social benefits to laughter. 
because we tend to laugh with others more than when we are alone, you get social support. And this is what happens when we laugh with other people. Whether it is an illusion or not, um, we get the sense that other people understand us, that they think and feel just like we do. And that's very comforting. And it gives us the um, ability to then go on and keep doing things rather than withdrawal. We become a participant in life. And that's always uh, usually a good thing. Although laughter comes fairly easily to most, it's a surprisingly complicated process that engages multiple regions of the brain. First, the frontal lobe helps you interpret the information you receive, the sounds and the images, and then decides whether they're funny. This triggers an emotional response in the limbic system, which controls basic feelings like pleasure and fear. And that, in turn, stimulates your motor cortex. This controls your physical response, activating the sounds and the facial gestures we all recognize as laughter. We've all heard the expression, laughter is the best medicine. It's not as if laughter is some magic pill that will solve all of our problems, but it can help. It's just a tool in your medicine cabinet to help you uh, feel better. I'd say it's free uh, and it brings in all these other benefits that it's a great tool to use and not to be dismissed as silly or worthless. Gibson makes a good point. Laughter is definitely worth seeking out, and there are many ways to find it. Surround yourself with people who make you laugh. Watch a funny movie, read a comic. You could even try out laughter yoga. Yes, that exists, and it involves lots of laughing. But most importantly, enjoy the laughter you share with the ones you care about. Moving on to a more serious subject matter, I've been getting a lot of questions lately about COVID-19 variants specifically the Delta variant. Experts say this is the most transmissible of all the variants we've seen so far in the pandemic. It's already swept through other countries like the United Kingdom and India, where it was first identified. And it's quickly gaining ground here in the United States, where it's now estimated to be responsible for more than 20% of all infections. That's one in every five in the country right now. And according to Dr. Anthony Fauci, that number roughly doubles every two weeks. He called it the country's greatest threat in the fight against the coronavirus. The best defense is a good offense. You know that by now. You also know that it means getting vaccinated. So if you haven't done so already, roll up your sleeve, get your shot. It's going to protect you, but also those around you, because coming down with COVID is no laughing matter. Please keep the questions coming. We want to hear from you. We have an episode coming up that's all about supporting the older adults in our lives as they emerge from isolation. Many of them are reuniting with friends and family for the first time in over a year. And we want to know, in what ways have they been impacted? How have they changed? When you look at your parents or your grandparents for the first time in a while, do they look different? Do they look older? Have they aged? And perhaps most importantly, how can we encourage them to safely re-engage? Record your thoughts as a voice memo and email them to asksanjay at cnn.com. We might even include them on the next podcast. We're taking next week off for the holiday, but we'll be back in two weeks. Thanks for listening. Chasing Life is a production of CNN Audio. Megan Marcus is executive producer. Zoe Saunders is the senior producer. 
This episode was produced by Rachel Cohn, Jordan Gosperay, Paige Sutherland, Audrey Horowitz, and Grace Walker. Our medical writer is Andrea Kane. Tommy Bazarian is our engineer. And a special thanks to Ben Tinker and Amanda Seeley of CNN Health, as well as Ashley Lusk, Rafina Ahmad, Courtney Coop, and Daniel Cantor from CNN Audio. One last request. We want to learn more about you. Please tell us a bit about yourself by participating in a brief survey at CNN.com listeners. There you can also register for our listener panel, where you'll be one of the first to hear new projects from CNN Audio. Again, that's CNN.com forward slash listeners. Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com.